you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with us to Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to talk about a subject that often is not addressed in churches because we don't want to offend people. It is very simply the topic of hell and God's wrath and judgment. I've been told by many people who've been in church a long time, and they say, Jeff, I've never actually heard a sermon on hell. We're in the middle of a series called Rethinking Evangelism. Last week we learned, and this is our watershed idea, that we don't share the gospel. Evangelism is simply telling people the good news. We don't share the gospel with people primarily because of the joy that it gives us. We don't share the gospel primarily because of the compassion that we have for people. We share the gospel with people because God is worthy of the worship of every single person that's alive. Amen? Like That's the reason. We do it because God deserves it. But within that doing evangelism, telling people about Jesus for the glory of God, there are different components to that that lead to the glory of God. For example, if you have your your outline, I would encourage you to follow along with us. Our driving thought for today is very simple, that we share the gospel. We tell people about Jesus because God is worthy of the worship of every person. And because of the reality of hell, simply put, if we have been transformed by the grace of Jesus, we have compassion for people. And like one biker that I knew who loved Jesus, he had a shirt and on the back it said, friends don't let friends go to hell. And some people say, now Jeff, how does hell actually fit into the gospel? Well, we can't actually share the gospel unless we talk about hell. Go with me. If we're telling people that they're saved, but we never tell them what they're saved from, then talking about being saved doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? If we talk about you're saved to heaven, but we never talk about what makes heaven so amazing. Number one, the presence of God is there, but it's that you don't go to hell where the presence of God by way of his wrath is there. Heaven's not that great. Contemporary Christianity, in many of our churches today, we preach a message that says that Jesus will save you from your addictions, from your loneliness, loneliness, from your issues, from your anger. But biblically, Jesus saves us from the wrath of God and hell. And everything back from that is small. For Jesus to help us with our anger problem is small in comparison to him rescuing us from hell. The great Christian leader Burke Parsons said, if there's no preaching on hell in your church, there's no gospel preaching in your church. In Rocky Mount Baptist, we don't want to be new or flashy. All we want to do is be faithful to what the Bible says and preach it and teach it. That's the only thing we want to do. You say, Jeff, what is your vision for Rocky Mount Baptist Church in the future? To systematically teach what the Bible says. I love John MacArthur. He's so old school, so simple. Some people say he's boring. You know what his like saying is? Unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. That's where the power is. You know, a lot of people sometimes they say, okay, that's good. But what about hell? There was a survey done by Barna Group several years ago. And 75% of Americans believe in a literal eternal hell. But only 4% of Americans say absolutely I'm going there. 
4%. And there are a lot of misguided views on hell. Follow along with us. Number one, one of those misguided views on hell is what's called annihilationism, which says that when a person has not given their life to Christ, upon death, they simply cease to exist. Some may call it soul sleep. It means that they simply don't exist. There's a Greek word, uh, apolumi, which where we get the word apollyon, which is destroyer, which is sometimes used for Satan. It's a misunderstanding. Now, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on this morning of the Greek word. Now, go with me. The annihilationists say that in the cases, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says about the lost, their end is destruction. That's the word there. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. The annihilationists say that this word refers to simply stop existing. But if they would actually do their homework, they would find that destruction doesn't mean that you cease to exist. It means that you're brought to utter ruin. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.9, talking about the lost. It says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, notice, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So very simply this morning, the Bible doesn't teach that once you die, you simply cease to exist. Many of our atheist friends say, once you die, you rot. If you believe that that this morning, Satan has you in his stranglehold. Because if you're Satan and you want to get as many people to go to hell as possible, you sure as day don't want them to believe in hell. Because even if we don't love people or God, you're like, bro, I don't want to go to hell. There's another misunderstanding called universalism that says in the end, God is going to save everyone. If you read your Bible closely, you know that Revelation 20 tells us very clearly that all of those who were not found written in the Lamb's book of life, that's a way of saying every person who's not been saved will be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible does not teach that God will eventually save everyone, but God will save anyone who comes to him in faith. Another misunderstanding about hell is an idea called inclusivism, which says that those who have never heard the gospel will be saved, but only those who have heard the gospel will go to hell. Or those who've heard and rejected the gospel, only they will go to hell. And the Bible clearly teaches us why this is wrong. Number one, The Bible tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6, that it is only through Jesus that we can be saved. And people say, well, Jeff, what about the innocent guy in the middle of, I don't know, like the the Amazon, and he's never heard the gospel? What about the innocent guy in the middle of Africa who's never heard the gospel? Well, that guy goes to heaven. But there's one problem. That guy does not exist. Are you tracking with me this morning? There's no one who is innocent. None. Let it sink in. 
The Bible tells us that all are under sin. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans chapter 2 and look in verse 14. It says that the Gentiles not having the law. That means that people who never read or heard the Bible. It means people who have no divine revelation. The Gentiles who do not have the law have the law, but it's written on their hearts. That means that every single person who's ever been born in every culture that has ever existed has had the knowledge of God in their heart. They know it's wrong to commit adultery. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to lie. So even the person in the middle of the jungle who's never heard the gospel, they have the light of conscience in their heart knowing that there is an ultimate standard, but there's no person, whether they live in a high-rise in New York City or they They've never seen an automobile and they're in the middle of the jungle. No person that has ever fully obeyed their conscience. Because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, well, Jeff, is it unfair for those who have never heard? Well, we have to ask the question, what is God obligated to give us? God as judge is obligated to give us justice. And if God gave us pure justice, then every single person would go to hell forever because no person would have a way to have their sins forgiven and be cleansed. But God has given a way and His name is Jesus. And I want you to think about this. This may be something you'll need to chew on for weeks. If God only saved one person out of the entire human race, that would be one more person than deserve to be saved. And people say, well, God, how, how could you allow these things to happen in the world? The question that Jesus addresses in Luke 13 is how could God being holy and just and loving and pure allow the world to continue to tick and talk with all of the evil going on? How could God allow some of the people who come week after week after week to Rocky Mount Baptist Church and hear the gospel and hear these classic old hymns that tug at your soul and hear these new songs and hear the gospel but simply when the invitation is given to say to God without verbalizing it no how could God allow them to continue to take another breath but the good news is that God has given a way to be saved and his name is Jesus and if we really care about the people who haven't heard we're going to get the gospel to them amen That means that if we throw out objections, like what about the people who have not heard, but we don't give one dime to Lottie Moon, that is our annual international offering. Every cent of that that's used during the Christmas season goes to overseas work so that missionaries, like our missionary friends whose names we will not mention, but they've been here with us, can take the gospel to places over in India, to people who've never heard the name of Jesus. If you really care about people, we're going to do everything we can to get the gospel to them. And before we jump into Romans, excuse me, Revelation 14, there's something that we need to remember. That in the Western culture that we live, in American Western Europe culture, it no, we, 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 we no longer have a concept of punishment or wrongdoing, except in the case of little kids being molested. Everybody's got an excuse for everything they do wrong. It's accepted. We say, say things like, oh, we all struggle Obviously, because we're humans, but many times when we throw things like that out in our culture, it means I'm saying that to make my sin less of a big deal than it actually is. But in our culture, we don't get fired up about much except for the case of little children being 
molested. That's the final roadblock of morality and justice. And in America today, we rarely have a standard because we have told God, get out of our schools, get out of our life, get out of our government, get out of my life. And so here's what we no longer have. We no longer have a standard of morality. And go with me on this thought. If you no longer have a standard, a foundation of morality, there's no longer any justice, right? Because justice is a deviation. It's a perversion. It's a twisting of what should be. And that's why we no longer have a concept of justice in our culture. And if we've lost our concept of justice, then we definitely can't have an idea about what it means to be punished. So the idea of hell for most of us this morning is something that we're kind of like, what? But I encourage you to ask the Lord to give you his heart and his eyes as we look at what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength, full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And verse 11 is simply terrifying. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name. The context for Revelation chapter 14. Is when the stench of human wickedness and human perversion. Has built up to a massive pile like what you would see on a landfill. And God says enough is enough. And it is during this tribulation times where a false prophet will be sent. Many people will believe in that instead of Jesus. Because, let's just be honest, most of us outside of Jesus want to believe in anything but Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who says you're wrong. But in the voice of Jesus, he also says, I love you. It is this point to where the ultimate deception will happen. The words are used there in verse Number 10 about the wine of God's wrath. In Greek, this word is thumos. It means a settled indignation. There's the word anger, which is orge in Greek, which means uh, vehement fury. It means that all of God's wrath against what has been placed against him will finally break loose. And just like a dam that is broken, it will consume everything in its path that has not been rescued. So you say, Jeff, what will hell be like if we take the Bible for what it simply says? Well, number one, in hell there will be no redemption. Revelation chapter 14 speaks of the end of time, the tribulation period, to where at the end there is no more mercy. Everything builds until God's wrath is released like a torrent. In hell, notice this is not referring to redemption, forgiveness at all. In hell... There will be no rest. There will be no mercy. No chance of being forgiven. No learning. No tomorrows. No seasons. No parties. No friends. There will be no fun. There will be no love. No freedom. No hope. No gospel. No Jesus. No end. It says the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. Day and night. And think about Jesus who... I mean, it's like a day is as a thousand years to God, right? I mean, how long does that have to be for him to say day and night 
forever and ever. Literally in the Greek languages, it is ages upon ages. You say, Jeff, who will be in hell? Revelation 21 tells us the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers. In the Greek language, sorcery means it's the word for pharmakia. Yes, drugs were around in ancient times, except for people would wed drugs with occultic practices and try to get high and get in a trance at the same time. Idolaters, and check this out, good people of Rocky Mount, Virginia, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake which burns with fire and sulfur or brimstone, which is the second death. In hell, there's no redemption. And the Bible also teaches us that in hell, there is no rest. In verse 11, it says they have no rest day or night. John the Baptist warned his people in Luke chapter 3, verse 17, that the chaff, he will, quen- he will burn with unquenchable fire. The chaff referred to the husk. It refers to if you're here in Rocky Mount Baptist Church and you claim to be a religious good person, it, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and been saved, you are chaff. And on the day of judgment, if you do not repent, you will be receiving the wrath of God. You remember the story in Jesus that Jesus told in Luke 16 where the rich man died and went to hell. When he was in hell, he it says that he, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. And he saw Abraham afar off. And he begins to beg Abraham, can't you send somebody to my brothers? Like, like send Lazarus. Give Lazarus a quick resurrection and tell him to go. Say, there is a heaven, there is a hell. And you know what he was told? He says, if they do not believe the testimony of the law and the prophets, they will not believe it, even if someone rises from the dead. You know, some of us, we can be very hypocritical. And we can say, God, if you just show me a miracle, if you just show me that you're real, God has shown us that he's real through his word, through history, through logic. In hell, there is memory, there is consciousness, there is conscience, consciousness of physical sensa- sensation, and possibly the worst thing in hell is regret with knowing there will be nothing we can do about it. Jude 13 tells us that hell is a place where there is blackness and darkness forever. In hell, it's a place that a person cannot escape from, so it would be claustrophobic. In hell, there would be no way to quench our addictions and our desires. The demon of addiction, you could say, will never be satisfied. And hell is forever. The great Puritan Thomas Vincent said that if all the waters of the sea were poured upon hell, it would be not put, it would not put it out. Hell is everlasting boredom. You see, in hell there is no redemption, there is no rest, but in hell there is also no return. It says it is ages upon ages upon ages. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up as a kid, I would hear some preachers talk about eternity, whether in hell or heaven. And have you ever tried to think about eternity? You ever tried that? I think about a million years and then tack a million onto that. And then go and go. For me, and maybe some of us can say, sometimes that gets a little scary, doesn't it? Like it's not going to stop. Like it just continues to roll and roll and roll and roll. And it can't be stopped because it's eternity. It's everlasting existence in heaven or hell. In hell there is no return. And some people say, now hold on Jeff, I'm here, I have questions about Christianity. Why would God, a God of love, create Hell, in which, by the way, uh, hell is not the place that the devil created. It's not a place where he's going to be running around with a pitchfork, poking people. As he would like us to believe that he's a puppet character or a cartoon. 
idea. But hell is a place that was created by God for Satan and the angels that rebelled with him, which also includes every person that is not willing to bend the knee of repentance to Jesus. Three reasons why hell is eternal. Number one, because God himself is eternal. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So most of us would say God is a God of love. Amen? God is a God of mercy and grace. And very few of us that have read the Bible at all would come to the conclusion to say there's going to be a time in the future to where God's mercy and grace will be extinguished. Never. God always has been merciful and gracious and loving, and He always will be. In the same token, God's righteous anger and wrath against sin will never run out. And some people say, hold on, Jeff. How can a temporal sin bring everlasting punishment? Well, a temporal sin is something that we have committed against an eternal God. And you can think of it this way. Take a line that is as thin as a scope's hair. And you take that line and you extend that line and it is going, I mean, throughout eternity. It is endless. The mass of that line that may be so small to the naked eye, maybe even indiscernible to the naked eye, will end up being greater in mass than any temporal object. Simply put, our sins have to be paid for. God's justice must be satisfied when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Luke 12, 59. He speaks about God where he says, you will not depart until all has been paid. If God is a good God, sin must be paid for. And if sin cannot be paid for by human goodness and human good works, the only option that remains is Jesus Christ. But if a person rejects Jesus Christ, their account is always out of balance and punish for the punishment for the sin never actually catches up. And this is possibly the most firm reason why hell is forever. In Luke, excuse me, Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, Jesus talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Most people who study the Bible very closely say that it's not simply out of pain, but it is out of anger and defiance towards God. Have you ever had someone grind their teeth at you, become so angry in that fight. I know many of you married couples, you never fight. You simply have heated disagreements. And those teeth are gritted so much, it is defiance towards God. Because here's the thing. When a person goes to hell, they are not saved. And hell doesn't save them. It simply brings out everything even more so. So not only do people go to hell unchanged, but they continue to sin in hell. And some of us think that we're very proper when we come and we hear sermons about being saved. But we very properly sit and we very properly stay and we very properly leave. But I want to let you know when Jesus comes to your heart and he says, I can save you. You may be messed up by the world, Sanders, but I'm big enough to save your soul. And I can make a beautiful story out of your brokenness. And you look at God and you say, no, it is the same thing as a person in hell, that defiance, that rebellion, weeping and gnashing their teeth against the grace of Jesus Christ. Say, all right, Jeff, I definitely picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. What am I supposed to do with this? Like, what got into you? 
Listen, at Barking Mount Baptist Church, we want to teach through the Bible. And when we do that, we come across very difficult, uncomfortable things. That I would be the cruelest preacher on the planet. In fact, if God actually exists, if that's actually true, and the Bible is his word and Jesus is the son of God, and I read the Bible and I see Jesus talking about hell all the time, but you, my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ and people who are investigating faith, and you come here, and because I don't want to offend you, I don't tell you, I would be worse than the surgeon who sees cancer on your MRI but says I'm not going to tell him because I don't want him to have a bad day. Jesus loves us. And when we get saved, we love people. So here's, he said, Jeff, what's the takeaway from this? Number one, if you know that you've been saved from hell, here's your takeaway. Here's your application. If you are saved, we should be moved with compassion over people who are lost. Great theologian Wayne Grudem said, if our hearts are never moved with deep sorrow when we contemplate this doctrine of hell, there is a serious deficiency in our spiritual and emotional sensibilities. I mean, we don't want people to get sick. That's why some people, you're like, bro, I've got, I've got Montezuma's revenge. I've got fever off the charts. I'm not going to come to church because I don't want to spread it around. And for that, we thank you. We don't want people to get ill or to lose jobs or to be have their feelings hurt. So how much more, those of us that are saved, how much more should we move, be moved by compassion? May it be that we bring a worship guide home and make a list of lost people. The other week I was going through a list of people we have plugged in it here and they're coming and listening. I gave one to Fred so he can pray for it as well. People, let us be mindful of people. When we go to, when we go to a restaurant, it's not just a dude waiter or a lady waitress. There are people who are going to go to one of two places. And when we, when we have those family times where we're with people that we love but we don't like. <laughs> a great point in the membership class this morning raised by one man that we should see those things through spiritualize and see people as jesus sees them all in the freedom that when we begin to be concerned about people going to hell and bringing glory to god that changes us so the choir or fred or the band does a song that may not be up our alley we say praise jesus there's people here to sing and have that that old the idea of churchianity to where we all come dressed to impress each other and, and, and just getting people like us and people who can give, we can have more money. May all of that mindset go to hell. And we say no matter who you are married to and you're, you have multiple divorces and you have issues in your life and you come in smelling like meth or you've been drinking this morning, you couldn't even wait till lunch. We're glad that you're here. And we're, we're so excited because we believe that Jesus is big enough to save a high-level executive with a $500 suit and he can save the man who's just finished a prison sentence. And when we, when we rethink evangelism, let us remember that if we've been saved and people that we love and our family, if they do end up going to hell, like Spurgeon says, may they have to leap over us. 
that football player the other week, he like did a flip over the guy, the defender, he's looking around. May it be that we set up a roadblock of prayer. And we don't come against them and try to beat them over the head and say we're better than them or anything like that, because that's not true. In brokenness and humility and love, we pray for them and we love them. And when they mess up, we give them grace because God has given us grace. Our takeaway, if we're saved, on the doctrine and the teaching and the reality of hell is that we should do everything that God has given us a part in to make sure that no one goes to hell without us pleading with them to trust Jesus. And you say, well, Jeff, I, I, uh, I don't know if I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church or the right Sunday to come to church. But all is not well with my soul. And I think that if I was honest, I, I would be on the road to hell. What Satan will tell you, and he's probably already told you throughout this message, is that you're dirty. You're sinful. You're an addict. You're so dysfunctional, you can't keep a relationship. And even the one that you have right now, it's probably not going to end well when it ends. In fact, why don't you just have fun with the however many years or days or weeks that you have left? And then when you go to hell, at least you'll have a fun time. What a sick, deceiving lie from the enemy of our souls. Oh. <clears throat> I was preparing for these guys to come in on, on Wednesday night and thinking about some of the backgrounds of these men who are doing their time. I was just walking around in here and I, and I saw one of our music sheets that the band had practiced. And it's the song Before the Throne of God Above. And here's how it goes. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look to see him there, Jesus, who made an end to all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, Jesus, and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. So when Satan brings to mind all of the things that you've done and all of the reasons why you're unworthy, you just agree with him. But like the Shane and Shane song, you just remind the devil of what he conveniently and always forgets, that Jesus Christ saves. I am those things. I know my heart. To a certain degree, and I know I'm those things, but the Bible tells me that God so loved the world that he sent his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes and trusts in him will be saved. And you can write your name in there. This morning, baggage and all, mistakes and all, you can look to Jesus and be saved. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it goes through this whole list of sordid sins. And it says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. But in verse 11, if you need to be saved here today, this can be you. And as such were some of you, but you were washed, 
You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Have you given your life to Jesus? Has the enemy told you that you can't because you are what you know you are? Well, it's that very reason that Jesus can save you this morning.